When I turned 40, my social media feed changed. I've always gotten some advertisements for yoga and other fitness products and programs. I'm a yoga teacher, so I'm a good target for those kinds of ads. Likewise, I've always seen at least like a handful of ads for makeup and hair products, but it seemed like the very first day of my 40th year, when I opened up Instagram, a new regime was in charge. The advertisements I saw were all about holding off the aging process, ads that tried to convince me that my body's hormones are now wrong and I need to fight them. Ads for wrinkle-reducing ointments, programs guaranteed to help me lose weight via some sort of weird aging body math, ads for diets that are guaranteed to give me more energy like I need a lot of that, Ads for shapewear, products that encase the human body in uncomfortable, tight-fitting, sausage-casing-like garments that are meant to squish me into a more socially acceptable shape. It was honestly overwhelming, and in the face of that onslaught, I did wonder, am I okay? Like, is this, is this what people talk about? Am I broken now? Is this the thing that I hear the other women discussing, that at some point we're no longer deemed worthy of love? And despite my better judgment, I found I was looking more closely at my wrinkles. This past winter, I started back in therapy. It had been many years, but my father's death on top of the isolation of the pandemic had turned a normally manageable level into, of depression into something that was anything but that. I just wasn't coping anymore. And one of the things that came up in my sessions was that I was having a hard time feeling good about my body. Like most of us, I put on some pandemic weight. On top of that, I broke my ankle the day of my father's memorial service. So three months off my feet cost me some strength and flexibility and added more weight. However, like most people in our culture, rather than honor the fact that I had just been pulled through the ringer, I turned inward and I started to have some self-esteem issues. So my therapist started me on one of the books we're talking about today, The Body is Not an Apology. I can't recommend that book or the workbook that goes along with it highly enough. There are dozens of brilliant ideas and revelations in the book. The one I want to share with you today has to do with what author Sonia Renee Taylor calls the body shame profit complex. Every day, we are drowned in a tidal wave of messaging that our bodies are not okay. Now this takes overt forms like the ads I saw on my social media feeds when I turned 40, but it's also present in more subtle ways. When we look at the heroes on television and in movies, they're presented as slender and athletic and young. And when the good guys don't look like us, we take a message from that, whether we realize it or not. Women in their 40s like me tend to be portrayed as no longer desirable. We're the bad guys, or the nagging wife, or the jealous older woman. 
And when we do connect to our sexuality, it's mocked. We're called cougars or pumas. And there's a thread of messaging that we should not be dressing in ways that draw attention to our bodies. There is no way to win here. No matter what we do, the message from the body shame profit complex is consistent. Our bodies are wrong. I consider myself pretty lucky in that I grew up in a hippie household. My parents did their best to protect my sister and I from the complex. But unless you're willing to completely separate yourself from society and move off into the woods somewhere all alone, which is admittedly tempting, it's impossible to escape the deluge of messaging. And despite my parents' very best efforts, the message that I am not worthy enough as I am did get through to me. There are powerful tools within the body is not an apology to begin reclaiming our body sovereignty to recognize when the body shame profit complex is sending us a message and to develop constructive responses to that messaging. Through inquiries and prompts for consideration, Sonia Renee Taylor helps us unpack the messaging we internalized about both our bodies and the bodies of others. Through simple and effective tools, she helps us begin the journey toward a healthy relationship with our bodies, ours and other people's. I still have hard days when it comes to my body, but underneath all that habitual thinking, a new way of looking at the world is emerging. A pride in myself, a better love of and appreciation for all the bodies around me, and a rejection of the billionaires who try to profit off of my pain and self-doubt. I don't see as many ads now. I've had a good time reporting all the ones that show up on my social feed as offensive. <laughs> And it's because they are. I am the most beautiful I have ever been right now. And, <laughs> and I will always be the most beautiful I have ever been in the future. There is nothing wrong with my body. On Tuesday, I started teaching a 13-week class here at UUCF on mindfulness. There has been a massive increase over the past few decades in cultural awareness, I mean, especially here in the West, about mindfulness. And especially over the past few years, mindfulness feels like it's mentioned everywhere you turn, right? Mindfulness just added to everything, right? John Kabat-Zinn has defined mindfulness as the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment non-judgmentally. Paying attention on purpose in the present moment non-judgmentally. And mindfulness was one of the first major ways that I learned to meditate. 
And both I and many other meditators can attest to the many benefits that can arise from practicing mindfulness. To share just one of, you, one of them with you that you've heard, many of you have heard me say before, just that shift of something like, I am anxious, mindfulness would invite us to say, oh, there is anxiety. Just noting it is one of the many things happening in your field of experience. It just can open up some spaciousness to make things more workable. But as my meditation journey has deepened and widened, I've also come to realize that mindfulness, and especially certain forms of it, even over a very long period of time, it can result in kind of a, a neck-up experience of meditation, where people are meditating, but they're just, they're all up here in their head. So as helpful as mindfulness can be, there's also tremendous value in taking that short but very long journey 18 inches down from your head to your heart for what are sometimes called heartfulness practices. Some of the most well-known heartfulness meditations include loving kindness and compassion and equanimity and sympathetic joy, which is actually my, my favorite. And prior to this current class on mindfulness, I actually led a 24-week class starting the beginning of the pandemic on heartfulness practices. And in particular, we were drawing from the work on practicing mindful self-compassion that was kind of been pioneered by Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer. There's also starting to be more widespread awareness about the value of heartfulness practices, but heartfulness has got a long way to go to catch up with how much we hear about mindfulness. If you actually, I don't know if any of you ever played around with Google Books, has this function called Ingram, and you can actually look at how often a word has been used in books over the past 200 years. And if you search mindfulness, um, there's been like a 500% increase, you know, it's kind of flat and, you know, it has a little jump in the 60s and kind of, but then over, starting in 1980, there's just this peak and then it just shoots up and skyrockets like this 500% increase. But if you start to do um, heartfulness and mindfulness together, you can't even see heartfulness because compared to, to mindfulness. Mindfulness, heartfulness has had about a 130% increase since 1980. So it's got a it's only about 20% of, of where mindfulness is. But there's still another level down that's also incredibly important and transformative, but even less well-known, and that is bodyfulness. So mindfulness, heartfulness, bodyfulness. And that's had about a 40% increase, but just in the past decade. So it's kind of like just starting to emerge the kind of awareness of how important bodyfulness is, the awareness that can arise from attending to the somatic wisdom of our body. Uh, and some of the best advice I ever got about meditating is how important relaxation is to meditating. Relaxing your body and finding that place where you can be relaxed yet alert. So relaxing your body and relaxing your expectations. One of the biggest things that can catalyze your meditation practice is relaxing your expectations about what this meditation should be like and just opening to what it is like. Because <laughs> you're just getting in your own way if you're, you're shooting all over yourself. If, you, if you're, uh, oh, this sh something, this should be happening or this should be happening, like just, just let that go and let whatever does or doesn't arise. I've learned the most about embodied meditation from a teacher named Reggie Ray, and there's a ton of free practices on his website. It's called Dharma Ocean, so you can Google that. Lots of free 
uh, practices if you want to experiment with what bodiness is about for yourself. They're pretty different practices. They're, they're very embodied. There's a lot of kind of Western meditation meets Tibetan Buddhism. So they're, they're, they're pretty strange at first, and I've found them to be incredibly transformative. Um, but, so your mileage may vary, but check it out if you're interested. I should also hasten to add that I don't think it's a matter of one approach to meditation being superior to another. Rather, I think some of us have natural proclivities towards heartfulness, some to mindfulness, some to bodyfulness, some to concentration, to inquiry questions, to open awareness, and, and many other meditation practices. Based on our temperament, based on our past history, all of that is totally natural, totally fine. It also can be helpful, though, to build some strength in the areas that you aren't as naturally inclined to. There also tend to be certain seasons of life when a particular approach to meditation can be particularly helpful. But I'm personally coming to see the value particularly in, in making sure, again, that I'm kind of cross-training in my meditation, you know, getting some mindfulness, getting some, and they really mutually inform and strengthen one another. So for our purposes this morning, I want to share just a few highlights from Reggie Ray's latest book, uh, which is titled Somatic Descent. And then I want to connect back to the related territory of the body is not an apology that Irene shared with us a few minutes ago. First, let me give you a few examples of how many of us have um, already experienced various aspects of bodyfulness, even if we didn't know that that's what it was. Have you ever found yourself saying like, wow, what she just said was really heavy. And like you, as that person was talking, you could like feel the weight of that like on your shoulders and, and in your body. That heaviness, that, that sense of, of that, that's bodyfulness. Or have you ever thought, I just have a gut feeling about this. That's bodyfulness. That's a somatic wisdom of your body speaking to you. And then you kind of have to interpret it with your heart and your mind, right? Um, or have you ever done something like, wow, their behavior makes me sick. And like, and like literally you felt nauseous. That's your body, that's bodyfulness. Or when they were talking to me, I just had this queasy sense that they weren't really being straight with me. Like, mm, this is just making me queasy. I don't know what it is, but like something's off. That's bodyfulness. These are some examples of opening to the awareness of what your body can tell you. We can also learn techniques to intentionally cultivate various forms of bodily awareness. A good way to start is to assume a position that is relaxed yet alert or even lie down. That's actually one of the biggest things I learned from Reggie Ray's meditations is many of them are done flat. There, many people think to meditate you have to be like sitting down on a meditation cushion and sit, sitting is only one of the four classic ways to meditate. Standing is another classic way to meditate. Walking is another classic way to meditate. And lying down is another. And if you keep falling asleep, I always tell people that you, your first spiritual practice needs to be getting enough sleep. And then we'll, then we'll talk about uh, meditating, lying down. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sleep is super, super important. So, you know, lie down and then open awareness to your body and just, just drop in that inquiry question What's going on with me right now? It's a lot like what I ask at the beginning of every Sunday service. Just open up right now in real time. What's happening in my body? And you might notice things like, oh, you know, there's kind of a tightness in my gut or my, my shoulder is unusually tight or just whatever. Just notice what's happening with you. And then kind of once you notice what's happening to your body, just kind of drop into your consciousness the question, what's that about? And then just... Open yourself to maybe being surprised about what response you get 
Or ask yourself, what do I need to be aware of? Ask your body, what needs my attention right now? And again, pause and see what emerges into your awareness. Now, there is so much more to say about the transformative power of bodyfulness, and I, and I wish I thought it would be okay for me to just spend the rest of the time talking about bodyfulness, but I feel like I need to address the elephant in the room, as Irene already powerfully began to, and that is all the powerful currents in our culture that are working to keep us cut off from our bodies and to ignore our bodies, and I feel like that needs to be addressed. Uh, it's what the African-American artist and activist and educator Sonia Renee Taylor calls, as Irene said, the body shame profit complex. I'll limit myself to just one representative statistics. Earnings from the global beauty market reached an epic $532 billion in 2019 alone. Half a trillion dollars in 2019 alone and are projected to continue trending higher. There's a lot of money to be made in making us feel bad about our bodies. And I agree with Irene that one of the most powerful books I've read recently about learning how to love our bodies is Taylor's book, The Body is Not an Apology, the power of radical self-love, radical in the sense of getting down to the root of the problem. She's also recently released a supplemental practice guide titled Your Body is Not an Apology Workbook, Tools for Living, Radical Self-Love. Let me begin by telling you some of the origin story for Taylor's approach. A little more than a decade ago in 2010, she had no intention of starting this radical self-love movement with hundreds of thousands of followers. She very much stumbled backward into this. She was just listening to a friend who was worried that she had become unintentionally pregnant. Her friend confessed, my disability makes sex hard already, and I just didn't feel like it was okay to make a big deal about using protection. Unexpectedly, Taylor found herself saying six words that would be transformative not only for her friend, but for Taylor herself and for a growing number of others. Your body is not an apology. Just notice how that shows up for you, how it shows up for you in your head, in your heart, your body. What does it mean to consider that your body is not an apology? Taylor now finds herself in the unusual position of regularly receiving photos of people who have had her six words, your body is not an apology, tattooed on their body in all sorts of various places as a permanent reminder of this wisdom, as a touchstone for them as they go through this life, that their body is not an apology. That's one way, not the only way, of making a commitment to bodyfulness. As one member of her team has written um, about the body is not an apology, this book, this workbook, it's not about something as simple as body positivity and body acceptance. It is really deeper and more radical than that. It's about the ways in which we see others the ways in which we see ourselves and judge one another and ourselves on something far deeper than we may know. When we're not conscious of all these dynamics about the body shame, profit complex, about all of this, we can make these seemingly on the most superficial of assessments, other bodies and our own, can have deep impacts on how we feel about ourselves and others and just really, really powerful reverberations. Taylor calls us to learn, and this really takes time, potentially even a lifetime, it will not be done, but to learn to gradually loosen the grip of body shame, to just 
gradually loosen it and to gradually reorient toward love and celebration of all the ways that bodies are different as um, Catherine delightfully showed us uh, through the animal kingdom in her story. To explore just a little further, I mean, I, I really recommend her book and workbook, as Irene said. They're, they're really short and they're really accessible. Uh, so that's something to know. But I want to give just a sense of her perspective. I'll share just a brief overview of three of her key tenets. She says, to make peace with not understanding, to make peace with difference, and to make peace with your body. I'll say just briefly about each of those in turn. First, make peace with not understanding. That can seem counterintuitive for many of us. Many of us like to know things up here. Not all of us, but some of us are just really oriented up here. We want to understand things. And there can, of course, be tremendous value in cognitive intelligence. But if we experiment with moving down 18 inches from our head to our heart, and then down further still into our body, and then you could even go even further, connecting to the earth, connected to, to groundedness. The truth is that there is so much we don't know about ourselves as well, much less about other people. So instead of jumping straight to judgments of other people based on superficial perceptions of their bodies, what if we experiment, in Taylor's words, with accepting humans and their bodies without needing to first understand why they love the way they do, why they think the way they do, why they move the way they do, and why they look the way they do? What if we could just love and accept people without having to have understanding come first? Can you feel some peace descending just with that notion? Accepting humans and their bodies without understanding why they love, think, move, and look the way they do. The Buddhist tradition calls this beginner's mind. Setting aside preconceptions in order to experience reality with openness, with freshness. Notice how these different approaches show up differently in your body. Think about either something you're ashamed of or something that may cause shame or judgment to come up in you. Can you feel, even as you do that, or even as I just say the word shame and judgment, can you feel a tightening in your body? Tightening, constricting, feeling more cut off from others? And then what if I shift from shame and judgment to the words loving acceptance? Can you feel just a little bit of a flowering, almost like petals of a flower opening, feel more open, especially compared to shame and judgment, constricted, feeling more openness, connection, free-flowing, peacefulness, ease. Consider making peace with not having to always understand. Second, make peace with difference. Here, Taylor quotes the late poet and activist Audre Lorde. It is not differences that divide us, it is our inability to celebrate those differences. It's not our differences that divide us, it's our inability to celebrate those differences. Not just to accept or tolerate them, but to celebrate them. The body shame profit complex sometimes tries to convince us that there is one singular standard of beauty, and the more we deviate from that alleged norm, the more worthless we are, and the more we need to buy and change about our bodies to try to conform. It can be a tremendous source of peace to set that oppressive standard down, tremendously liberating to let that go, and accept that there is a wild, beautiful diversity out there of what bodies are like, very much including our own body. Make peace with difference. 
Third, make peace with your body. And this is the, the work that only we can do for ourselves. Taylor's book and workbook, again, contain a large number of tools to help, so I'll just primarily share the middle stanza of a brief but powerful poem titled Three by Nahira Wahid. And I said to my body, softly, I want to be your friend. And it, my body, took a long breath and replied, I've been waiting my whole life for this. I'll read that one more time and notice if you can feel that in your body. And I said to my body softly, I want to be your friend. And it took a long breath and replied, I've been waiting my whole life for this. It's kind of like accepting your own friend request on social media, right? <laughs> try that. Right now in this moment, uh, if you're comfortable doing so, try putting your hand on heart center and another hand on your gut. Just offering yourself gentle, compassionate, soothing touch. You can do this for yourself anytime. It's actually really not that strange, even in public, to do this. To just put a hand on heart center, a hand on your gut. And just take a deep breath in and out. And opening the field of your awareness to your body, to bodyfulness. Perhaps setting some form of an intention, as feels right to you, to incline yourself to having the ability to make peace with not understanding, to make peace with difference, to make peace with your body. For now, as we each continue to reflect, you can keep your hand and heart there if you'd like, you can let them go if you'd like. As we continue to reflect, I invite you to listen to our musical response with heartfulness, with mindfulness, and with bodyfulness. Open your whole self, heart, soul, mind, and spirit as we hear the call to wake now my senses. <laughs> 